Just like the world. Oh, <laughs> now, now I, I don't know if it works this way for you, but a lot of those songs can bring back some pretty strong memories from growing up. Candlelight services with my mom and dad. My mom totally loved Silent Night. And my uh, great aunt Frida, who was from Austria, taught us uh, the words in German. I can remember singing Jingle Bells and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, like a light bulb, right, in the car as a family. And those songs also bring back the memory of when I was probably 10 or 11, and a bunch of the kids in our neighborhood decided to go Christmas caroling. And you see, it was then that I found out that I was lacking in the singing well department. Um, <laughs> I believe it was about the third house we got to, one of the older girls, I can't remember her name, and I'm kind of glad I can't, looked at me and said, wow, Steve, you can't sing at all. You're terrible. So monotone. I had no idea what monotone meant, but I knew it wasn't a compliment. You know, and, and I never won Christmas caroling after that as a child. How heartbreaking, right? I cannot remember that girl's name, and I don't want to remember her name, right? But I have a voodoo doll that looks, just kidding, right? Uh, so Christmas music brings back Christmas memories. And listen, music has always been a part of the Christmas story. In fact, we could say it this way. Uh, that songs may be our best response to the mystery of Christmas. And what a mystery, right? I, I mean, God, you know, the star-breathing, ocean-holding God, putting on flesh and crawling into the muck and mire of this dark world as a baby. It's a mystery. It's crazy. And songs have been a part of the Christmas story, not just in recent years, but even in that very first Christmas. Now, understand, if you read through Scripture, you find that oftentimes when someone is sharing, is sharing the good news of Jesus, or they're, having, or they're hearing the good news of Jesus, that there is a song that is sung. And that is why, for the month of September, we're doing a series of conversations that I'm calling Sea Tunes, a series where we're looking at the four original tunes of Christmas. Uh, next week, we're going to look at Zachariah's song of Thanksgiving, the week after that, we're going to look at Simeon's song of, of joy on Christmas Day. And remember, Christmas Eve, two services, 3 and 5 p.m. Christmas Day, one service at 11 a.m. Uh, we're going to talk about the angel's song of salvation. And this morning, we're going to talk about Mary's song of praise. You know, this week as I was working on today's conversation and reflecting on this season of the year, I started to wonder that, that what if some aliens... And a galaxy far, far away picked up our radio singles in the month of September, of December, well, September and Sam's, right, and heard all our Christmas music. I wonder what they would conclude, conclude that Christmas is all about, right? Is it about snow and white Christmases? Is it about sleigh bells ringing? Is it about reindeer? Is it about elves? Is it about uh, a snowman who was getting kind of frosty? Is it about mama kissing some guy named Santa Claus under the mistletoe? Is it about chestnuts roasting on an open fire? Jack Frost nipping at your nose? Or hell, maybe it's cold outside? Or is it about that famous head-on collision between somebody's grandma and a reindeer? <laughs> grandma got run over by a reindeer, right? Walking home from our house Christmas Eve, right? You may say there's no such thing as Santa, as for me and Grandpa, we what? We believe now, right? Because, man, it took Grandma out, right? And I'm saying if these aliens listen to the songs, 
If any particular person rose to the top and seemed to be the main character in the celebration, it would be a jolly guy in a red suit named Santa or St. Nick. Yes, I think for the most part, they would be totally clueless as to the real meaning of Christmas. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that those songs are wrong or that we should not sing them or enjoy them, but nevertheless, they are not the real and the deeper meaning of Christmas. In fact, if the original St. Nick was around today and he saw how little attention Christ was actually getting during this time of year, I think he just might punch somebody out. Let me explain. You see, St. Nicholas, a.k.a. Santa Claus, is based on a, ran, a real man who lived around 300 A.D. He was a bishop of Myra, which is modern-day Turkey. He came from a wealthy family and was known for helping the poor. In fact, one story tells of, of Nicholas upon, upon hearing of a father who was in such extreme poverty that he was about to sell his three daughters into prostitution that St. Nicholas threw, threw, threw down the chimney several bags of coins, thereby saving these girls from a life of misery. Now, when the Roman emperor Diocletian amped up his persecution of Christians, Nicholas was arrested, tortured, and imprisoned for his faith. He spent many years in prison and was released when Roman Emperor Constantine came to power and said that all persecution must stop and everybody in jail must be set free. And on his release, Nicholas began where he left off, helping the less fortunate. And my favorite story about St. Nick is how at the Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D., he got into a very heated debate with a guy named Arius. And Arius was basically teaching that Jesus was not an eternal being, but a created being. And the debate got so heated, and it suddenly stopped when St. Nicholas punched out Arius right in front of the Roman emperor. I love St. Nick. So when you think of St. Nick, here's something to keep in mind. He was a godly man who kept sharing the good news about Jesus, even though it meant torture and prison. He was a guy who cared about the hurting, providing support and defense for children, the weak, the poor, and the helpless. Think of somebody with an unparalleled passion for making sure people knew who Jesus really was and for pointing to Christ, not himself. Yeah, a persecuted, jailed, passionate gospel warrior. That's my kind of Santa Claus. Amen? Now, interestingly, during my research this week, I made an amazing discovery. I found St. Nick's Facebook profile picture. St. Nicholas, I came to give presents to kids and to punch heretics, and I just ran out of presents. <laughs> yeah, baby. Okay? And now that we have the heretic punching Santa out of the way, let's unpack Mary's song. There's two points in your notes, the writer and the song. First, the writer. H have you ever found out something uh, about a song, uh, the story behind a particular song, and instantly that song took on a deeper and more powerful meaning? For example, the song Amazing Grace, right? Probably the most well-known of all Christian songs. I mean, who isn't moved by its words? However, it became even more powerful to me when I learned that it was written, and you may know this, by a guy named John Newton, an ex-slave trader who surrendered his life to Christ. And, you know, I, I can just imagine what he felt as his pen danced across the pages writing those famous words. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. So let's spend some time getting to know Mary 
before we unpack our song. Okay, turn in your Bibles or open up your Bible app to Luke chapter 1, verse 26. It'll pop up on the screen as well. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. Now, Nazareth was a very small, insignificant town. I mean, Gabriel probably had to pull up Google Maps just to find it, right? It it sat on about 10 acres, had a population of about 300 people. Nearly half the people would die at birth, and the other half only had a life expectancy uh, of about 30 years. So you got this small town, 10 acres, 300 people, insignificant, tiny little town located in a country, Israel, that had been occupied by foreign armies for centuries, and that's where Gabriel is sent. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Now, in that time and culture, a girl shortly after hitting her teen years would be, become engaged, uh, probably about 14 years old. So when you think of Mary, think of a 14-year-old girl. Think of a girl probably in eighth or ninth grade. And Mary's engaged to a guy named Joseph, a descendant of who? A descendant of David. And, and why is David important? Because God promised David that the Messiah would come from one of his descendants. Now understand, this is probably a very exciting time for Mary. She's young, she's engaged, and she's looking forward to, and she's planning for her wedding day. Any of you ladies ever uh, been there planning for your wedding? And so that's what she's thinking about. She's counting the days until her wedding day. She's, she's trying on wedding dresses. She's looking for a wedding cake and sending out wedding invitations, you know, venues and flowers, all whole nine yards. All is fine, all is normal, all is well, until Gabriel shows up with a remarkable and mind-blowing message. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. Here's that, that will word again. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestors, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, that's some seriously crazy stuff for a 14-year-old girl or for anybody to hear, for that matter. I mean, ladies, imagine being her. I mean, imagine an angel coming to you. And don't think of these cute, cuddly little Harmok angels that are babies, right? I mean, we're talking a big, stinking, scary angel, right? I mean, a big guy, right? Terrifying, right? And, and imagine, ladies, him, him suddenly appearing and telling you, hey, you know, hey, I, I got a message from God, you know, and, and God has chosen you to give birth to his son, and his kingdom will never end. Would you be freaking out? Would you be overwhelmed? And now notice that Gabriel made a point of telling Mary two times, Mary, you have found favor with God. And you know, I think that's a bit surprising. I mean, it even left Mary disturbed and and confused when she first heard it. Because if there are two words that would describe Mary from a human perspective, those words would, would not be highly favored. Instead, they would be more along the lines of completely overlooked. You see, Mary... She's poor. She's from an insignificant town. She's engaged not to a king, but to a, to a blue-collar worker. 
And when it comes to power or influence, she has exactly zero. But brothers and sisters, God does what he so often does. He highly favors someone who our world would completely overlook. And so as we study Mary's life, a question for us, I think, to consider is this. What was it about Mary that brought God's favor? I mean, what was it that so marked her life that it invited the blessings of God? Because I know that, like me, you have a deep desire to have God's favor and his blessings unleashed in your life. I mean, who doesn't want to live the kind of life, have the kind of family, be the kind of church that God blesses? So what was it about Mary that brought the favor of Almighty God? Now, there's a number of characteristics that we could pull from Scriptures, but I think there are two qualities about Mary that rise to the top that unleash the favor of God in her life more than anything else. And the first is her humble spirit. She had a humble spirit. Understand, as as we look at the life of Mary and as we hear her song in a few moments, uh, we see a young woman who lived with the awareness of not only how how small she was, but how huge God is. So here's what I would say. Humility, Humility is one of the qualities that opens up the door to God's favor in our lives like almost nothing else. Humility is one of the qualities that opens up the doors to God's favor in our lives like almost nothing else. Psalm 66, verse 2. These are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. Question. Done any trembling yet? Done any trembling lately at God's word? Jesus' brother James said, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will what? He will lift you up. He will lift you up. And believe me when I tell you, the Lord can give us some serious lift, some serious lift. Turn to the person to your right and left and say, some serious lift. Understand, when we humbly take a knee before the Lord and say, God, I need your help. God, I made a mess of things. I can't fix it on my own. God, God, my marriage is in a million pieces, but you're the one who can put it all back together again. God, I've blown it with my kids, but, but you, God, are the one who can redeem anything. God, I've made some mistakes in my past. I'm not proud of them. I know that everyone else has given up on me, but God, I believe that you, that you can put things back together and and that you can make my path straight once again. God, I can't do it. I can't overcome it. I can't stand up under it. I need your help. God, I got nothing to offer, but whatever I have, it is yours. And listen, Whenever God encounters a person with that kind of humble spirit, he will, with great joy, pour out and unleash his favor. Get it? Good. Let's continue in Luke to find out the second quality that led to God pouring out his favor on her. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. Angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby born to you will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. 
What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren. Now, people used to say she was too old. People used to say a lot of hurtful things about her. What are people saying about you, right? Yeah. Anybody saying some hurtful things? Tune them out. But she has conceived, people used to say, but she's conceived a son and is now in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. Maple Grove, our God can. Now understand, nothing is impossible for him. Our God can create everything out of nothing. Okay, if what we believe is true, it's absolutely nuts, right? I mean, right now we're on this huge hunk of rock, right? Third rock from the sun, right? And, and, and we're spinning around at 1,000 miles an hour right now, right? Like there's not, nothing holding us up that I can see, right? You know? And, and, and we're hurling around the sun at 86,000 miles every day. And, and we're just one planet in a solar system, right? And one galaxy of billions of galaxies. And the God that we worship simply said, let there be, and it was. Crazy. Our God can do anything. He can rain down manna from heaven. He can walk on water. He can part seas. He can move mountains. He can raise the dead. He can cause a virgin to give birth to a son. He can move powerfully in the life of anyone, no matter how old Elizabeth or how young Mary. Nothing is impossible for God. It's not. He can. He's able. He's God. And that is why we are happy and hopeful, and that is why we sing and pray, because our God is the God of the impossible. A God who can take nobodies from nowhere and do amazing and incredible things. Amen? Amen. Okay, that's some weak love. Okay, if you're visiting, I need love, right? You know, I can make this longer or shorter or easier, right? So if you amen, bring it, Steve, that's good, and I feel love, I move on. If not, I get my feelings hurt, you know, and I have to beg you for 20 minutes to say amen. So work with me here. I love you guys. Uh, Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left because she got it. I love it. I mean, here, here's this 14-year-old girl from a simple town with a simple faith, but understand, it's a sincere faith. Now, Mary knows very little. She's not been formally educated. She doesn't have a Bible app on her smartphone. She only has bits and pieces of Scripture that she treasures in her heart. But here's what she has. Faith. Yeah, it may only be the size of a mustard seed, but Mary actually believes what God says. Listen, most of us in this room have far more information than Mary, but we have far less faith in it. We think, I, I need to learn more. Yeah, maybe we do. But brothers and sisters, first things first. Let's believe what we've already been taught. Let's live out and stand on what we already know, right? Church, let's believe what we've already been taught. And, and let's live out and stand on what we already know. Amen? Again, Mary knows very little, but she trusts it all. It's amazing. She actually believes God. She takes God at his word. And she responds and says, I'm the Lord's servant. No, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I, I, I don't understand the physiology of this thing. 
But whatever he wants, that's what I want. I'm his. I belong to him. I'll do whatever he says. Go wherever he calls. And so what is the second quality that Mary had that unleashed God's favor? She had a faith that was without borders because she actually believed and trusted in the God of the impossible. Luke continues, a few days later, Mary heard to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived, and she entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a loud cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. And I love this last verse. You are blessed because you believe that the Lord would do what he said. You're blessed because you believe that the Lord would do what he said. Okay, so that's the writer. A young girl poor from a small insignificant town in an enemy-occupied country with a humble spirit and a faith without borders who believed that God would do what he said. And now that we know her story, let's unpack Mary's song, the original sea tune, Luke 1, 46 through 55. Now, in your Bible app or, or in your Bible, you may have this heading, the Magnificat, Mary's Song of Praise. And I, I got to confess here, dictionary.com, I had to find out how you actually say that word, right? Because I can't even say hardly any words get past one syllable, right? And it is Magnificat. And, and it's not talking about some feline superhero, right? All right? It, 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 it's actually a Latin word meaning to praise, to glorify, to exalt, to enlarge, to amplify. And that's exactly what Mary does in her song. She magnifies, she exalts, she glorifies, enlarges, and amplifies the Lord. And if I, I'm going to ask you guys if you would stand. And what we're going to do is, I'm going to read, like I, I usually stand on my feet. I don't know what you guys, but usually, if you guys would stand. Um, and, and what we're going to do is, I'm going to read the first slide, and then you guys read the second slide. And remember that this is that 14-year-old girl, right, you know, who, who met an angel, found out her, 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 her cousin is pregnant and that God can do anything. Mary responded, oh, how my soul magnifies the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has helped the servant Israel and remembered to be merciful, for he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. Awesome. Hey, you guys can uh, retake your seats. And, you know, as I study and reflected on Mary's song this week, I, I saw five major movements in Mary's song where she magnifies the Lord. The first is God's care. Oh, how my soul magnifies the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on, all generations will call me blessed. 
Um, Mary says that her soul rejoices. Why? Because the Lord, her God and Savior, took notice of her. The NIV words it this way. He has been mindful of the humble state of a servant. And that word mindful drives me back a thousand years to Joseph's ancestor David when he said these words in Psalm 8. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, you're huge. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. In other words, God, when I consider how great you are, and then I consider the fact that you are mindful of me, I am totally blown away. Are you kidding me? Brothers and sisters, God is mindful of you. Need more proof? Check out what David wrote in Psalm 139. Nuts. How precious are your thoughts about me, oh God. Crazy. Did you know God has thoughts about you, that he's thinking about you right now? And he's thinking good stuff about you. He thinks you're awesome. He thinks you're incredible. He loves you. How precious are your thoughts about me, oh God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. Mary, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl. Understand, the original Christmas tune sings the story of a God who sees, who cares, who notices, who pays attention, who's concerned about us. Get it? Good. And you know what? I'm convinced that this is exactly what God wants to say to a few people in this room who, like Mary, may feel like God has forgotten them. So this morning, December the 4th, 2016, God says to you, I care. I notice. I am paying attention. Listen, you and your situation, where you are and what you've been through, what you're facing, are on my mind. I care and I'm concerned. I am mindful of you. And brothers and sisters, it's true. He is. He's mindful of you. Get it? Good. Get it? Good. Sure what we do. The next movement, Mary talks about God's might. God's might. For the mighty one is holy. He's done great things for me. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. Uh, Understand, uh, this God who sees and cares also acts. And Mary says, not only is he mighty, and not only can he do great things, but he already has done great and tremendous things for Mary and for his people. You you see, the good news of Christmas is that not only is God great, but God is good. Uh, Understand, God constantly uses his greatness, a greatness that no one can measure, that no one can comprehend. He constantly uses his greatness for our good. Mary stinking Christmas. Amen? Again, Mary says, he has done great things for me. I started thinking, okay, wait, wait, wait. not a lot has changed in her life yet. I mean, she's still from a small and significant town. She's still poor. She's still engaged to a poor carpenter. She still lives in a, in a country occupied by foreign army. And, she, and she's about to have, as she begins to show, a very unique, hard-to-explain, finger-pointing and tongue Wagging, inducing pregnancy, right? 
But listen, to Mary, nothing was greater. Listen, to Mary, nothing was greater. To Mary, nothing was greater than knowing that her God, her Savior, her Lord is mindful of her and has taken notice of her because she can fully in faith now rest in his greatness and his goodness, right? And so can we, right? God wants us to, right? He doesn't want us freaking out. He wants us to rest in his greatness. He can do anything. And to rest in his goodness and concern for us. The third movement in Mary's song is God's mercy. He shows mercy from generation to generation to to all who fear him. And, And mercy is not getting what we deserve. Understand, as Mary considers the history of her people and as she looks at her own history, she praises God for his mercy, for not treating her or their nation as they deserve. You see, even though they had turned their backs on him again and again and again and again and again, like you do and I do, God did not abandon his people and instead showed them mercy. God did not abandon them, but instead showed them mercy. Wow, what an awesome God that was growing inside of that 14-year-old girl. And I love what Micah, the Savior's coming from Bethlehem prophet, says about God and his mercy. This is killer right here. Check this out. There's no God like you. You forgive those who are guilty of sin, right? We're guilty. Let's quit saying we're innocent. We stink. We're messed up. We fail. We falter. We're guilty. You do not stay angry forever. Oh. But delight to show mercy. God delights. God gets joy. God just loves, man. God, God is like, give me a chance to show you some mercy. Man, aren't you glad that God does? Aren't you glad that God delights to show mercy? Because I don't know about you, I'm pretty messed up. It wasn't just Mary and Israel that needed God's forgiveness and mercy. I need it every single day. The fourth movement in Mary's song is God's way. God's way. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. I love it. Our God is so awesome and so unpredictable. He does not do things the way we would expect. Yeah, I think the words Isaiah penned in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 are a huge understatement. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. I mean, seriously, who would God would do the things that he has done? I mean, come to earth as a baby? Nuts, right? And who but God would use the people that he used? Moses, a murderer, and a child of slaves. Gideon, the least member of the smallest tribe, a guy who was pretty much terrified of the enemy. Esther, a war orphan, right? David, the youngest and least likely. Elizabeth, an elderly woman. Mary, a teenage girl. Joseph, a blue-collar carpenter. And lowly shepherds tending their flocks at night. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Understand, church, God is always on the side of the humble, the hurting, and the hungry. And he always is cheering on the orphan and the widow. God is for the preborn, the elderly, the poor, the disabled, the deaf, the blind, and the feeble. And God often uses the most unlikely people 
to help unfold his extraordinary purposes. Man, I so love God's ways. Amen? And the final movement in Mary's song is God's promises. He has helped his servant, the people of Israel, remembering to show mercy as he promised to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his children forever. I understand, as Mary sings the original Christmas song, she knows that the life that is growing inside of her is the very fulfillment of all of the promises that God made to his people. Yeah, they waited a long time. And yeah, the road got steep and rocky at times. But God did as he always does. God kept his promises. Turn to the person to your right and left and tell them God keeps his promises. And that's good news. This week, some of us read this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. All of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with the resounding, yes, right, yes. You see, the song of the first Christmas is the good news that God's promise has been fulfilled, that the king is among us, that the true king has come, that his kingdom is at hand, and that deliverance, freedom, forgiveness, mercy, grace, and redemption are literally growing inside of a 14-year-old girl and are about to be born. The psalmist says, I rejoice in your promise as if I have found a great treasure. So Maple Grove, Mary's song of praise, one of the original Christmas tunes, is about a great and powerful God. It's about a God who delights in showing mercy. It's about a God who champions the cause of the weak. It's about a God who uses the ordinary when they have a humble spirit and they have a faith without borders. He uses the ordinary to do extraordinary things to unfold his plan and purposes. It's about a God who keeps his promises. And it's about a God who is watchful, who's mindful, and who always is taking notice of us. He's mindful of me, and he's mindful of you. Merry, 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 merry Christmas. Amen? Would you stand and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we humbly bow our hearts and minds before you. And God, we're so grateful that that you're a God who cares about us, that, that you're mindful of us that you take notice of us. God, we, we are so grateful, Lord, that, not, that you are great and that you leverage your greatness for our goodness all the time. God, we are, God we're so thankful that, that you are a God, a God, who, a God who keeps his promises, a God, who can be, a God who can be trusted, Lord. We're so grateful, Lord, that you love us and God, that you, God, that you care about us that you delight in showing us mercy because we need it. Lord, your, nurse, your mercies are new every morning. We're just thankful for who you are. And God, I pray for those in this room maybe they're hurting right now. And God, that they would just know that you care and that you're paying attention. And God, for those who need your mercy, may they just know that you are so, you're delighted, Lord. You love to show mercy and to pour out your grace. And God, I pray 
that as you are mindful, for, uh, mindful of us, that we will be mindful of you during this Christmas season, such that our hearts will overflow with joy because of who you are. Because, God, we know that, that you are our only hope, and you are our only help. In Jesus' name, amen.